Well, greetings, everyone. Hello. Good morning, Steve. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, just so everybody is aware, our good buddy Kurt is uh, finally, finally, so he can stop whining about it, uh, finally having his hip surgery on Thursday. Yeah, he's getting a new job on And so uh, we're grateful, Kurt, that you're getting the surgery, and we're going to pray for a speedy recovery and that you're not a pain in the you-know-what to your cousin. Pain in the nerves? Yeah, right. That's it. So uh, very good, very good. Well, um I've been encouraging y'all uh, during our worship services to to live with Psalm 27 uh, during uh, Lent, and uh, so I thought that that would be a good place for us um, to start today. It is definitely David praying these words, and oh, if he could only pray them during these days in his life that we're going to be covering, how good it would be. Let's pray. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling and he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up our story in 2 Samuel 19. David is ever hopeful in the Psalms. He he thinks there will always be another day. And that's a really incredible thing with all the history, all the blood that's been shed. There will always be another day. And I think he really understands that about God. There is a kind of metaphor that we're going to follow in 19 about crossing the Jordan River. 
And this is, in many ways, a beginning. It's a new beginning. Remember, this is how Israel entered the Promised Land. It was a little mini parting of the Red Sea. They had their baptism, if you will, um, crossing the Jordan River, moving into the Promised Land. And so David, in chapter 19, is in the process of that. He has, after a lot of bloodshed and incredible loss of his son, in a sense, given an opportunity to do it again. He's going to come in and be king. He's going to come in and set things up again. So he's going to cross the Jordan River. So they keep sort of laying this out there to say, all right, this is your 18th chance, David. And our God is really good about that. He doesn't take away the consequences of our choices. He doesn't let us off the hook with that which we've got to learn. But he does, I think, extend a lot of grace by letting us do it again and again and again. And hopefully we get it. So David is, again, going to cross with his troops the Jordan River, move back to Jerusalem, and he's got to make a lot of decisions along the way. Who to trust, who to forgive, who to kill, (laughs) who to uh, maybe establish in new positions of authority. So we've kind of talked about some of this. We had the story of Mephibosheth. Remember, he was the crippled son of Jonathan. And uh, David was merciful to him, and then it looked like he betrayed David. And at the end, David wasn't sure if he had done it. So uh, David kind of splits the baby in half, if you will, and uh, gives half of the territory to Mephibosheth and half to Ziba, who was his, his servant. David's not really, really sure what to happen. But we want to pick up the story in verse 31. David runs across a real character. This guy, I think, could fit in to our Bible study just perfectly. So 2 Samuel 19. Brazili, the father of Godzilla. But, I mean, isn't that a crazy name? Brazili. It's, uh, it, it, I've, well, it's used one other time, but it's, it's just a weird name. It means uh, like iron guy, uh, or almost like a kid. Uh, it's not Iron Man, which would be cool, but it's uh, like the little iron guy, the, the kid iron guy, which is it's interesting on all sorts of levels because how do you get a cool name like that? You know, your buddies are calling you iron. Um, and remember, is iron an old technology at this point? Nope. It's kind of new. In fact, for Israel, David has just introduced it in his lifetime. Now, it had been around for a while in other places, but how this guy got a a name like that, um, maybe we're given a clue. But we're told uh, he's from Gilead. Gilead is one of the northern, or the areas, part of the northern tribes, and it's on the other side of the Jordan River. So again, David is on the east side, and he's going to be coming, moving west to move into um, to Judah, to, to Israel. So he, he's from that area. <clears throat> but he arrived from Rogalim to conduct the king across the Jordan. He was very old, about 80, and 
very wealthy. I thought that's why you were going to say you, they fit in here. He would fit in here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, a contemporary of us, right? Yeah, right. So, one of the things that sticks out in Scripture is if you're old, it means God's happy with you. So, think about that as you get old and you groan and... <laughs> When does that start? I, ha- I make these involuntary sounds now that I don't mean to. You know, I'm getting out of the car, getting out of bed. Ugh, ugh. Like, when did that start? Of course, it drives my teenager crazy. But just remember, God is happy with you if he's keeping you around here for a while. At least that's the way the Hebrews would look at it. Uh, 80 years would be a sign of great blessing. And he... Uh, is very wealthy. He lives in an area where that would be hard to do. It's a desert region, but he probably has lots of flocks and lots of animals. But he was the one who had provided food for the king during his stay at Manaheim. Come across with me and live in Jerusalem, the king said to Barzillai. I will take care of you there. So this is a great honor. David wants <clears throat> to reward those that helped him. And it probably doesn't hurt if the really wealthy guy that is seen as somebody strong, favored by God, is accompanying David into Jerusalem. You know, some of these people like me, David would probably be advertising. So just an interesting character all around right here. Uh, we got the iron connection. He's wealthy. Uh, he still supported David. And then look, look at his response. And this really does remind me of you guys. No, he replied, I'm far too old for that. I am 80 years old today, and I can no longer enjoy anything. Food and wine are no longer tasty, and I cannot hear the musicians as they play. I would only be a burden to my lord, the king. Uh, to get old, right? All the indignities, and then you die. But at, at 80, you know, not, nothing tastes good anymore. Huh, I can't hear anything. What did you say, David? I mean, you, you got to love Scripture sometimes. Uh, so you got old Ironsides here, Iron Boy. Uh, he, uh, he's 80. He doesn't want to to mess with it. But look what he does. I would only be a burden to my lord the king. Just to go across the river with you is the all the honor I need. Then let me return and die in my own hometown, where my father and mother are buried. But here is my son, Kimham. Let him go with you and receive whatever goods you want to give him. So again, another very strange name. I don't know what's going on with this family. Kimham means uh, like they're longing. Uh, we're not sure about this one, but that what you want, that what you need, uh, dream about. It's, it's weird. God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. David started out listening to God I think through Samuel, through the ephod, remember, and then maybe the stones, and then he listened to the priests, and then he learned to talk to God. But has he been talking to God very much through this whole Absalom murder scenario? 
that it says. Not that it says. That's that's probably fair. I think if we put the pieces together here, God's speaking to David in a way that kind of blindsides David. Think about this. You have a guy named Iron, Iron Kid, and you know who sort of has the copyright of iron in Israel? Who who brought iron to Israel? Philistines, um, David specifically. So there's that. Hmm. We sort of have a connection. And this eighty-year-old guy, when push comes to shove, is willing to allow his son to go ahead and receive the honor and the blessing and and the good times with David. Here's an older guy willing to pass off to the next generation the blessing, what, what should happen. Don't you think this sort of hit David upside the head with a two before? Here, Ironside here, is doing what I could not do. I couldn't let it go. I didn't let my son cross the Jordan have a new beginning. I sent people out to get him that I was pretty sure would kill him. I think there was ice water flowing through David's heart here as he looks at this guy who God has blessed like him and realized he has taken a road that's very, very different than mine. And mine should look more like him. This is what I mean. God constantly speaks to us Sometimes through his word, sometimes through prayer, sometimes through people, sometimes through circumstances that we run run across. So we continue. 38. Good. The king agreed. Kimham will go with me, and I will do for him whatever I would have done for you. So all the people crossed the Jordan River with the king. After David had blessed and embraced him, Brazili returned to his own home. So again, he's, he's content. He has what he wants, Brazili. Uh, he's not killing, scrounging uh, to, to get more. The king went on to Gilgah, uh, taking Kimham with him. Now you need to <laughs> circle Gilgah. This is probably the coolest biblical name of a town ever. So this is the last port, the last place Israel stopped before they entered the promised land the first time. And one of the things that they noticed before they entered the promised land the first time is that in the 40 years of wandering in the desert, they had neglected a lot of the things that God said to do to be the people of God. Not the least of which was their men needed to be circumcised. Now God said, hey, do it on the eighth day. No problem, no sweat, the kid doesn't remember, right? But like many things in life, if you put it off, it only gets worse. (laughs) So being circumcised as a 40-year-old is a whole lot different than being circumcised as a little baby. So they had to have a mass circumcision to get everybody uh, snipped up. And so they remembered 
this town where all that happened, and that's what Gilgam means. I would translate it as Snipsville. <laughs> the place where we all had to <clears throat> take care of our little business. So there you go. That's free. Um, hopefully you'll never forget Gilga again. Uh, it's, they, they just throw that out there, and I wish somebody had uh, uh, put a little parenthetical there. But King went on to Gilga, taking Kim Ham with him. All the army of Judah and half of the army of Israel escorted him across the river. Now this is important. What two armies are these? Right. So the Judean army is David's, um, such as it is, mercenaries. And then what's the other army? It's the conscripts, the ones that were sent out to fight David. So he has got half of them, at least, to come back with him. This is, this is a little tenuous right here, isn't it? I mean, a couple hours ago, well, days, we were in the forest killing each other, and now David is coming back into power, hopefully going to try to unify the nation here. Two sides. But the 12 tribes are based on the 12 brothers that Isaac had. Um, you know, Joseph and his brothers. And did they ever get along? Really? The tribes, the brothers? Nope. They were always fighting and feuding. I mean, they beat up Joseph, tried to kill him. I mean, it, it was horrible. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And so the heritage that they get from all this is that the tribes never get along. So how is it going to go down that David is primarily holding on to his Judean friends, his, his family, and ignoring Israel? I mean, is that... Look, look what they say. Um, but the men of Israel, which would be the north, complained to the king that the men of Judah had gotten to do most of the work in helping him across the Jordan River. Why not? The men of Judah replied, The king is one of our own tribe. Why should this make you angry? We have charged him nothing, and he hasn't fed us or even given us gifts. <laughs> okay, so what does that say about David's men? They are whiny, and they are mercenaries. When do we get paid? Verse 43, but there are ten tribes in Israel, the others replied. So we have ten times as much the right to the king as you do. Why do you treat us with such contempt? Remember, when we were the first to speak of bringing him back to be our king again. The argument continued back and forth, and men of Judah were very harsh in their replies. And this is foreshadowing for what will destroy the kingdom of David. This split between north and south is going to be throughout the rest of David's reign. It's going to be haunting Solomon. And as soon as Solomon dies, if you remember, his son comes to the throne, Rehoboam, who's not as strong as David and Solomon, and the north leaves. They revolt. 
This is the seed of that horrible tree. David has a chance here to, just in this scenario, deal with it. But again, David is not part of this conversation. Remember, all of this was a chance to do it again. You're going to cross the Jordan River again. You're going to walk in the path that you did when you first came to know God, first came to know Christ. God has, I think, given David a moment where he realizes, I should have taken that different path. I I really should have. And then we set ourselves up with a scenario where David has a chance to be king of all of Israel, not just his mercenaries, not just Judah. But David is silent. You know, the men are, are been at blows, at, you know, killing each other. The peace is tenuous. And David doesn't deal with it. What happens in life, biblically, when you don't deal with a problem? It just goes away. It goes away, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's almost our foreign policy right now, isn't it? Right? Uh, it, it'll just, Putin will just go away. But spiritually, I think in terms of business, life in general, if God is giving you another chance, you better believe the things you struggle with are going to come back. And the answer is never to ignore it, to be silent, to avoid it. You just had a civil war, David, because you didn't talk to your son, because you failed to deal with that problem with uh, Tamar and Amnon, and now you've got a whole nation that is split in two. You've got to deal with it. So we had David's Judean mercenaries. We had half of the army of Israel. Where do you think the other half is? Scattered, probably are dead. Yeah, certainly a lot are dead. We we lost twenty thousand, but there's still a remnant of it. Has David done anything to win over the whole nation? Nope. So we get into chapter 20, and this remnant of the army from the north is going to revolt against David. So again, God's interest is teaching us your choices matter. I want you to learn to make a different choice. Just because you've gotten through a scenario doesn't mean God's going to let you just walk away from it. He gives you a chance to cross the Jordan again. And we have the stage set again. And David can now do it again. So we we can touch on 20 a little bit. Probably have to finish it next week. But stop me if you've heard this story. A military commander named Amasa from the north begins to lead a revolt against David. David hasn't even gotten back to Jerusalem, and there's another revolt. So David decides enough is enough. 
he goes to Amasa himself and says, look, let's not let our people die anymore. I've made a lot of mistakes. It got my son killed. I want to make it right. Let there be peace between you and I. Do you think David did that? Not in a million years. What did David do? You, you don't even need to read it. He ignored him, and who did he send? Joab. And what did Joab do? Killed him. God gives you a chance to do it over. And we do the same thing we did before. Again, God's, when we're kids, we sort of learn, God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to be saved. That's, that's all, that's true. That's, that's true. But sort of the adult version of it is that God wants you to learn your choices matter. What we do matters. It affects people. He will like put you through the gym in the soul over and over. He might send an interesting old guy named Ironside or Iron Kid uh, to remind you, ooh, I should have taken that road. But he definitely will set this pattern where, all right, remember you were here before? And what did you do? And how did that turn out? Did you learn anything from it? Because I'm going I'm to take you through this again, and we're going to try it again to see if you can get it right. So God is both merciful, always giving us another chance to cross the Jordan River, but he's also pretty driven. We are no use to him in heaven if we're going to make the same selfish, murderous choices again and again and again. At this point, I'm not sure David deserves eternal life because all he's going to do is add to the body count. But I just wanted to, before we kind of jump into chapter 20, I just want you to note that 1 Kings chapter 12 that will be a, a place where we need to cross-reference a lot uh, at the end of chapter 19 and then moving into chapter 20. If you notice the song or poem or whatever it is at the beginning of chapter 20, uh, we have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son, every man to his tent, Israel. And then you look over in chapter 12, this is uh, after Solomon died. So David, you know, uh, kind of it was kind of a period of relative peace uh, during Solomon's reign, even though Solomon, all good or mixed bag, major mixed bag, right? Uh, so after Solomon dies, and then here we go again, this story, because as Pastor Curtis saying, because David didn't learn to deal with it, Solomon doesn't learn to deal with it, and it just continues to get, the, the fire of this division continues to get stoked. So again, here's the song. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. And uh, we fall in that trap of... Uh, if you think about what's going on here is that these groups of people, these tribes, they don't get along. Why? Because they're viewing the world through the lenses of scarcity. That there is not enough for everyone. This land is to be a land of what? Blessing. Land flowing of milk and honey. That's the prop that's the promise. And is God just a liar? Or is that real? 
the perception is that there's not enough. It's not with God. It's because of people wanting to look after their own and not each other. Right? And so, <laughs> I often say this, uh, and, I, and, I, and I do think it is true. Much of the Old Testament reads like a tragedy because people resist God's blessing. And they try to hoard what they do have. The rest of the story of uh, you know, Samuel, the rest of the story of First and Second Kings, there's not much to celebrate there. Do you agree with that, Kurt? For sure. It's just not. It's not. There are moments, there are time periods, there are kings that, uh, that they get it. But for the most part, no. And so I think that's what keeps us like kept David from like even trying to take that step with Absalom. Is there really enough here? Is there really enough for both of us? Um, so it's something to ponder as we kind of go through this, I would say moving into the winter of David's life uh, with this, uh, with this uh, conflict that he has with uh, the tribes. Every time I read about the tribes and the split, Israel will be in two halves through the rest of its, its history, uh, the centuries that it has to remain. There's a north Israel and then the south. And they will end up in some very big wars. And it, it breaks your heart because they needed all their strength that they, need, they could muster to fight these challenges. But they were always two halves, north and south. And I think in our own nation, we have that same fissure, right? You know, the world needs a strong United States, but we, we tend to be riven. Um, I don't know if it's north and south or if it's uh, uh, east coast and everybody else, left coast and then everybody else. But there's the same kind of divisions in our nation. And you obviously can't have unity without shared values, so I don't know how to fix it. Uh, but it is this this warning the scripture gives when the people of God are not united then it makes it a lot harder to to resist so let me touch on just a, a bit chapter 20 then a troublemaker named Zeva we'd say Zeba son of Bikri a man from the tribe of Benjamin blew a trumpet and shouted just what Steve read to us we have nothing to do with David. We want no part of the son of Jesse. Come on, you men of Israel, let's all go home. So the men deserted David and followed Sheva. The men of Judah stayed with their king and escorted him from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. So any reconciliation just went out the window. Sheva's an interesting name as well. It means seven. How did he get the name seven? I'm guessing he was the seventh kid. And dad is just out of names. I got nothing. Seven. Uh, and what? George Costanza gave him the name. <laughs> there you go. Vicki Mantle's number. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's foreshadowing. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now this is significant for us. What is the tribe of Benjamin or who was in the tribe of Benjamin? Saul. So these are northern northerners. These are loyalists to 
Saul. Uh, they saw Saul as the anointed of God. He was the king. Uh, David is just a rebel, traitor, uh, murderer. Uh, people have nothing to do with him. Uh, and again, these are all conscripts. So they're going home. Uh, we're done. Uh, this king is rotten and we want nothing to do with him. But unfortunately, it doesn't stay there. Uh, we'll pick up that next week. Any questions? Back in 1990, Israel, the men of Israel talk about we anointed Absalom our king and he got whooped. Yeah, yeah. Um, God was anointing their kings, not them. Well, they kind of seem to have passed over that or ignored it. Yeah. Their refusal to accept David's back. Yes. And just because you had the ceremony of an anointing for the new king doesn't mean that God called for that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a good point. Um, they know how to do the ritual, but I don't think Absalom was chosen by God. He could have been uh, if David maybe had worked with him a little bit more, but he was not ready to be king. So. Well, uh, Israel apparently was not ready to accept David as the Lord's anointed anywhere in its since the death of Saul. Right. And I think the the battle of um, Gilboa, when he was on the wrong side with the Philistines. Remember, the Israelite army gets smashed, and David's on the other side. They never forgive him for that. So they might even take his son, but they will never take him. So. It's a, it's a hard life. But let's be honest for a second. If this was your life under the microscope, would it be a whole lot different? One chapter good, one chapter bad. I know there would be a theme of mistakes uh, that you would look at me and say, God, Kurt, how many times do you do that? You idiot, you know. Insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Well, <laughs> That's David. And let's be honest, it's a lot of us. How many times does God have to take you through that scenario before you'll act different? Can we be like old Brazili that we're willing to step back at some point and let our kids have the benefit of what we did? Let our kids succeed, even at the expense of ourselves? That's... Uh, you think it'd be a natural thing, but it can be a hard thing. But any other questions? All right, let's pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks tonight that we get to look, or this morning, <laughs> it feels like night, we give you thanks that we can look under the engine. We can begin to see the details how it all fits together. We often hear on many levels that you are ever merciful and ever kind. But this morning we have seen how that plays out. Your mercies do begin afresh each day. That you allow us to cross the Jordan River. You allow us to be washed from our sins, washed from the shame and guilt, the desperation, that so fills our days sometimes. And yet you lead us back into the promised land, back into a place where we've got to 
contend. We've got to struggle. We've got to push out the evil. Evil that we find in ourselves and all around us. We thank you, O Lord, that you don't give up on us. That you still call us to choose to do. To try to be like Christ. To try to think of others before ourselves. To be able to say, not my will be done, but yours. We give you thanks for David's life. Not because he was perfect, but because he was real. He made mistakes out of sins that were left untouched. Hidden where he thought they could do no harm. But in truth, they ended up dominating his day. Help us to learn from him. Those things that we hide away, we ignore. Those places that we go when we're stressed and worried and pushed to the edge. They do not help us. They only prolong the pain and the suffering and the harm that's done to ourselves and all those around us. Help us to learn from the man after your own heart. We've got to face Goliath, both the giant and the stuff inside of ourselves, to make different, loving, Christ-like choices. Help that to be our marching orders today. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Good night.